0: Start out in John chapter 6, so, John chapter 6, we, let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the time of worship we've had uh, to lift our voices up to you. God, you alone are worthy. You are the great I am. And we just worship you this morning. We praise you for that. God, that you are sovereign and that you are in control. God, that despite whatever comes our way in life, despite whatever happens to us tomorrow or later today or this week, God, that you are in control. And Father, I just pray that we would just uh, grow in our trust and grow in our faith. God, that we would grow deeper and deeper in the gospel. Father, be with us now as we break open your word and as we Uh, studying as we learn together. God, I pray that you would just help us to to put out distractions. God, help us to be focused this morning. God, fill this place with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, last week we kicked off a a new series. It's going to be six weeks in the Gospel of John. verses last week in John's, uh, is it epilogue or prologue? Which one is it? Pro. Prologue. Thank you. I always get those confused. But John's opening verses, it's prolonged, it's very powerful. And last week we talked about the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of His supremacy. We learned that Jesus was always existed; He's always been, He was and is the eternal Son, co-existent, co-eternal with God the Father. Everything in Scripture from Genesis to the very beginning of the Bible to the end of Revelation points to Jesus and His greatness. That is why our purpose here at Chester Christian Church begins with uh, make much of Jesus, because everything is about him, everything points to him. Then we learn about the greatness of Jesus' love. The good news of the gospel is that even though we have rebelled against God, even though we have sinned, Jesus is pursuing us in relationship. The greatness of Jesus' love is that he humbled himself, came to earth, took on flesh of a man. And paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus has rescued us. And that is good news. Through Jesus we find hope and healing. And then finally last week we learned about the greatness of the gospel. The gospel has the power to change and transform us. When we accept this free gift that Jesus has given us. The love that he has shown us. We become the beloved children of God. We become the beloved children of God. And that is transformative. That's the gospel. That's why the last part of our purpose statement here at Chester Christian is to reach people with the gospel, disciple them in the gospel, and equip them to share the gospel, because the gospel is the message. The gospel has the power to change and transform us. Now, Now, it might be helpful for us to think of John's gospel not so much as a book, but more of a destination, and John is kind of like a tour guide who's taken us on this journey, and he wants his readers to see Jesus for themselves. He wants us to see that there's so much more to Jesus and and what he's done for us than we can possibly ever imagine or fathom. He says Jesus is legit, man. Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is engaging, and you can experience him in a life-changing way. Man, that's our prayer for you. And that's my prayer for you through this series, that you would grow deeper and deeper in the gospel, that Jesus would become more real to you and that your life would be radically different because ...of your encounter with Jesus... ...and because of the gospel... ...and because it's changed and transforming you. Now John clearly states his purpose for us... ...in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31... ...where he says... ...I chose particular stories and signs... ...so that you may believe... ...that Jesus is the Christ... ...the son of God... ...and that by believing you may have life in his name. See John formulates his gospel... ...to answer the question... ...who is Jesus? Is Jesus the Messiah... Can I trust him? And to be honest with you, that's a question that has been raised ever since Jesus arrived on the scene over 2,000 years ago. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, you may have heard CNN uh, did a special, and they entitled it, Finding Jesus, Faith, Fact, or Forgery. And there are people who host shows like that all the time. Is Jesus real? Who was Jesus? Who was this man? And even in Jesus' day, man, uh, all throughout his ministry, there were religious leaders, there were seekers, there were doubters, uh, people who asked the question, who is Jesus? Who is this man? As a matter of fact, Jesus even posed the same question to his disciples one time in Matthew 16, 13, and Jesus asked them questions. question. He said, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they had all these, these answers. Because here's the deal, if Jesus was not who he said he was, And if he did not do what he said he'd come to do, then the foundation of Christianity is undermined and the whole thing is going to collapse. We can ignore everything he said and there's really no point in us being here this morning. We can just leave and go go ahead and have, have brunch together if you want to. You know what I mean? However, if what Jesus said is true, if he is the Son of God, if he is the Christ, if he is the Messiah sent to save the world... If that is who Jesus is and everything he ever said and did takes on an eternal significance this morning. And so one of the ways that John answers this question of who Jesus is is by recording seven direct, emphatic claims that he is the Son of God. Jesus claimed he is the Son of God. Seven times, Jesus identifies himself as I am. I am the bread of life in John 6.35. In John 8.12, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, 25, 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine. And what Jesus is claiming when he makes his I am statements is that he is the eternal and that he is God. When we introduce ourselves, we uh, use identification, right? We, we tell others who we are. We either introduce ourselves by our role, our title, our prestige, status, or name. For instance, if I introduce myself, I'm going to say, hey, my name is Aaron. That's my name, right? I could also introduce myself as I am a husband, I am a father, I am a Seinfeld fan, I am a College football fanatic, I am a pastor, or I could say I'm 37, soon to be 38 in about a week and a half. Just for you guys to know that, okay? All right, just just wanted you to throw, to throw that out there, right? But here's the point: when Jesus says "I am," when Jesus says "I am," He identifies Himself as God. Now I want to take you back to the Old Testament book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and Exodus tells a story of how God delivers, He rescues his people, the Israelites, out of Egyptian slavery. And God calls on this man named Moses, through a burning bush experience, to lead the charge. And during this conversation with Moses, Moses asks a question. Man, when I go before the Israelites, when I go before Pharaoh, who do I tell them sent me? And God responds. He says, in Exodus 3.14, you tell them, I am who I am. You tell them, I am sent you. In other words, God was saying this this living personal God who revealed himself to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 who made the covenant with Abraham and made a covenant with him is the God who is moving to deliver his people, to rescue them. And so when Jesus in the Gospel of John says, I am, Jesus is claiming to be the same living personal God who made the covenant with Abraham, the same God who revealed himself to Moses and the one who is now moving to rescue us, his people. So what I'd like to do for you this morning is this. it spend the next few minutes giving you kind of a 20,000-foot view of Jesus' I am statements, Right? They will help us see who Jesus is and what he came to do, his purpose. Now, because of time, I've only chosen a, a handful of these statements and uh, because I don't think anybody brought their sleeping bags with them, right? You guys don't want to stay overnight? Because we literally could spend a whole week on these I am statements and so what I want us to do is just take a, a few of them and kind of talk about what they mean for us and, and what Jesus meant uh, then and for us today. So the very first one is going to be in John chapter 6. Uh, I read it during our, our communion time John six thirty-five, when Jesus says I am the bread of life and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the statement and then I'm going to kind of give us a framework for what uh, is kind of Jesus is making this statement in okay kind of the, the, the scenario, right? So so what's happened here is Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And Jesus has just performed a huge miracle feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. The people ate and they were satisfied, but they were not satisfied for very long. Because afterwards, Jesus and his disciples traveled back across the Sea of Galilee. And when the crowds noticed that their meal ticket had left, they go and they follow Jesus. They look for Jesus. Now, what I want us to do is I want to read the interaction between Jesus and the crowd in six, chapter 6, verses 27 through 35, as so you guys can follow along with me there. He's, this is Jesus. He says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And I love this verse. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe In him who has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? That we may see and believe you. I guess the the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't a good enough sign for them, so they wanted something else, you know. So, So they said, what sign do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. I mean, give us some of this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Now, what's interesting is that later on in the passage, uh, Jesus is telling them, he, he directly says, unless you eat of my flesh, right? He, he makes that statement, and, and you, you know, if you're in the crowd that day, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, this dude is off his rocker. This dude is crazy. I mean, it sounds pretty crazy, right? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, now, Jesus is not promoting cannibalism here, but rather Jesus is giving them a practical analogy that deals directly with their life. See, we need to understand this morning that for Jews in the first century, bread was survival. Okay, this isn't 21st century, hop in your car and go down to K. Rogers and pick up a loaf of bread. A uh, stop and shop had not opened up in, in, in Jerusalem in the first century yet. Uh, they, hadn't, they hadn't opened up for business. Bread was their staple. So when Jesus says he's the bread of life, he's talking about survival. But, but it's not survival on a physical level, but survival on a spiritual level. You understand that we are all spiritual beings. All of us are created in the image and likeness of God. Every person on this planet is created in the image and likeness of God. God is spirit, and so we bear spiritual capacities, and that's the eternal part of us. Every single person here is going to spend somewhere in eternity. It's either going to be eternity with God in heaven, or an eternity with hell with Satan and his demons. We are spiritual beings. As a matter of fact, King Solomon, uh, the second. Uh, David's, King David's son says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed the desire for eternity in our hearts. So Jesus is claiming that there is no survival spiritually without the bread, and he says, I am the bread of life. He is our sustenance. But he's also saying that because we are spiritual beings and because God has placed the desire for eternity in our hearts, that we have this longing inside of us, this, this desire, this Craving for something more. And what so many people fail to understand is that apart from Jesus, nothing satisfies. No matter how hard people try to search for the next bigger and better things, they will always come away wanting more. Have you ever noticed that before? Like you can go on, like you can go on vacation with your family, and it can be the best vacation ever. And then you come away from that vacation, right? And, it, and you almost have this feeling of like. Almost like depression, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like this is over, but it's also like a sense of I want more. Like this feeling of I want more. I want the next bigger and better thing. Food is the same way, right? I mean, once you have a taste of good food, you know, it's like it satisfies for a moment, but it doesn't last, right? Because then you, 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 once you've tasted good food, you're like, I want some, I want some good food. Like, I, want some, I want some more food. And so it's never satisfying. Never satisfying. C.S. Lewis said it. He said, I cannot find a cup of tea which is big enough or a book that is long enough. He's alluding to that idea that nothing here ever satisfied, but God put in us this desire, this craving for something more. King Solomon says it in Ecclesiastes 2, he says, I tried laughter because eternity is in my heart. He says, I tried pleasure with women because eternity is in my heart. I tried success because of eternity is in my heart. And the only thing that satisfied me is when I realized that my heart was made for something eternal. That's Jesus' point. We were made to crave Him, and without Him there is no satisfaction. Psalm 34, eight says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you are here this morning and you're not a believer, and you're here for a reason, because God is pursuing you, you have this appetite, this hunger for something bigger, and Jesus is inviting you to come to Him and to simply believe. Matthew five six, Jesus is, is doing a sermon on the mountain. He says this: "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied." See what you need to understand this morning is that Jesus is our righteousness. He fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf, where you and I failed miserably to fulfill the law to keep the law. Jesus kept it perfectly. He obeyed it perfectly. That's why he died on the cross, because he is our perfect sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, hunger for that righteousness, because I am that righteousness. You just need to believe. And if you're here this morning and you've placed your trust, you are a believer, what we need more than anything else is to be hungry for Jesus. See, the most mature among us is not necessarily the most obedient, or those who have the most information or experience on a Christian level, But the most mature among us are those who recognize that Jesus is the bread of life. Hunger for him. Consume him. It's a passion to grow deeper and deeper in the gospel. Moving on, Jesus makes, uh, I'm going to skip number two, I am the light of the world. Because if you missed last week, you can go back and listen. Well, actually, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon because it wasn't recorded. All right. Well, I can give you my manuscript, and you can go back and look at uh, what Jesus says about being the light uh, light of the world, okay, because we kind of hit on that last week. So I'm going to move on to his third and fourth I am statements, and that's found in John chapter 10. So if you guys want to flip a few pages over, John chapter 10, verse 7, and, and John chapter 10, verse 11. And Jesus says, I am the door, some translations say the gate, and then in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, in the first 21 verses of John chapter 10, Jesus is using imagery of a sheep, shepherd, and sheepfold because this imagery would have been a central part of, Israel, of Israel's culture. Like they, they would have heard Jesus using this language and they would have been very familiar with it. Okay? In, in Jesus' day, there were two types of sheep pens. And the type that Jesus is referring to is a sheep pen out in the country. I, it, it, it literally, it basically was a pile of rocks in a circle And they piled them up really high uh, to kind of put the sheep in there uh, to kind of protect them from the the predators outside. And then there was this little opening in the rocks. And the shepherd would literally lay his body at night across that opening to act as a door or a gate of protection. And the good news is that Jesus in verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved And we'll go in and out and find pasture. Here's why that's good news because Jesus offers rescue. You've been separated from God because of our sin. Sin has separated us from God. and, and, And Jesus offers rescue the door. It says, Jesus says, I am the door. He doesn't say, I am a door, but Jesus says, I am the door. It's exclusivity. It's, there is no other way for salvation. He says, I am the door. As the door, Jesus provides safety and security for us. You see, there, there's a door to self-forgetfulness. And that's good news. You don't have to remember all the broken things that you've done. You don't have to live in anxiety or fear of those things. Jesus forgives us of our, of our past sins and our present sins and our future sins. See, a lot of us, man, we're holding on to guilt and shame. We're holding on to things in our past. And Jesus says, I am the door to self-forgetfulness. You can forget those things. Jesus has has paid the penalty for those things. You don't have to live the victim anymore, all the dark and horrible things done to you. There's a door to help you to be healed and put those things aside. There's a door to love, of lasting love, deep love, changing love. And Jesus is that door. The cross is that door that he died for us and he came back to life. And that any who would enter, any who would believe, that would be saved. Man, that's good news. Amen? Jesus is the door. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in verse 11. And what Jesus is doing in these 21 verses, he's really comparing and contrasting. Jesus does that a lot. Uh, He's comparing and contrasting himself as the good shepherd with thieves and robbers. If you back up to verse 1, very, very first verse, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. Now, what you need to understand is that throughout the Old Testament, man, God condemns the shepherds of Israel, those who were in charge of watching over God's people, the Israelites, because their motives were for really for personal gain, right? Thieves and robbers use sheep to get what they want. They're self-absorbed. They're all about themselves. They had no concern for God's people. And in Isaiah 56, verses 10 through 12, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and this is what he says. He says, Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way, each seek his own gain. And so Jesus is comparing and contrasting themselves as the good shepherd with these shepherds, with the thieves and robbers, people who have uh, just look over the sheep for their own gain. They don't have no concern for them. They're thieves and robbers. And in John 10.10, Jesus says, they come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Probably one of the most well-known psalms, even among non-believers, even among non-Christians is Psalm 23, right? Just about everybody can quote that psalm because it's read at, at most all funerals, right? And what is the opening line of that psalm? You guys know it? What is it? The Lord is my shepherd. See, God is comparing himself to a shepherd to illustrate his great love for his people. you know that of all the domesticated animals, uh, sheep are the most helpless? Do you guys have any sheep? Don't, right? Uh, sheep will spend their days grazing, wandering from place to place, never looking up, and as a result, they often become, become lost. I mean, like, if, you, if you're a sheep and you're out in the, and you're grazing and you wander off from the flock, you probably ain't going to find your way back. Like, they have no homing instinct inside of them, okay? Now, cats, on the other hand, cats, I swear, man, they, they, you could, we could take a cat today from right here at Chester Christian Church, fly it clear across the, to the West Coast, drop it off in California, and then I guarantee you in like six months to a year, that cat's going to be right back here at Chester Christian Church I mean, they just have this uncanny ability to find like, find home. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just amazing to me. But sheep, not so much, right? Sheep can't do that. I mean, sheep wander off just a, a little bit, man. They're lost. Did you know this? That sheep fear moving water, and they will not drink from any stream or lake unless the water is perfectly still, because if they, they do, they could fall in, they'll drown. Psalm 23. The shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside waters. Sheep are totally dependent on their shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd has never done you harm. He's not like those thieves and robbers. He doesn't come to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus says, I come to give you the abundant life. He doesn't need anything from you. And Jesus is the good shepherd and he, he has good things for you. I love what verse 3 and 4 says. It says that the sheep hear his voice and know his voice. Because of the capacities of the human mind, you have the ability to distinguish voices even in the midst of many other voices, even in the midst of chaos. Parents, you can do this with even your baby's cry, right? I mean, this is amazing to me that, that, that you moms can be sitting in a room with like 10 other moms and all of your babies be in the next room over. And if one baby starts crying, uh, that baby's mom will perk up and be like, oh, that's my baby. How can you hear? How can you tell that? Like, how do you know that's your baby? And, and, and they're right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we have the ability, the capacity to distinguish between many voices. Even dogs, believe it or not, have this ability. Do you guys know that? Dogs have the ability to distinguish between voices. When Robin and I were dating, she had this, uh, this golden retriever dog named Summer. And we were dating. And, uh, and, and she tells me that her mom was in town visiting. And she was, believe it or not, playing a sermon, one of my sermons. <laughs> Why, I have no idea. Uh, but she was playing a sermon for her mom, right? And uh, I love her. Her mom's reaction was like, oh, he's kind of got a mountain man voice. I thought that was kind of cool, right? Do you guys think that? Do you guys think I have, a, do I have a mountain man voice? Do I sound like a mountain man? Anyway, that's what, so it, my point is this. My point is this. As she starts playing that, 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 that sermon, Summer, the dog, hears my voice, and she starts going around the house looking for me. Like she perked, yeah, yeah, Kathy, you know this, right? She starts per, she starts what? And, that's, and so dogs even have that ability. Jesus speaks and says, you know the shepherd's voice. I love the implication here. He speaks so regularly. He speaks so often that your mind knows it's him. And with a familiar voice, you can lean in and you can trust Jesus. That's the voice of Jesus, and that's why he speaks to us. But it goes a step further in verse 3, and it says he calls you by name. Jesus knows your name and calls you by it. You know how important that is to us? That that your friends just don't, hey, buddy you all the time, and they actually know your name. And they go a step further, and they remember your life scenario, and they remember specific things about you, that you got a new job, or that you're struggling with this area of your life, or you're struggling with this issue, and then they pursue you on those things. Listen, Jesus isn't just some friend. He isn't some mentor that you look up to. He is the king of righteousness and he knows your name. Isn't that good news? It's good that he knows us. And My prayer is that we would listen to the shepherd. How do we listen to the shepherd? How how does God speak to us? How do we hear God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word. My prayer is that we would regularly open up his word and allow him to speak to us. Man, not because we have to but because we can't wait to hear what Jesus has to say to us so that's my prayer for you that you would want to hear, hear his voice, that you want to follow his lead because you know with him there is mercy and goodness and life listen, listen to the good shepherd and then finally the fifth I am statement, the, one, the last one we're going to do is uh, found in John chapter 11 verse 25 give you a second to turn there John chapter 11, verse 25, and this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, just to kind of set the stage for you guys, this is a story of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus shared a close relationship with this family. And what John is doing in this story is John is kind of revealing to us, he's showing us Jesus' humanity and his divinity. See, the story begins with the news that Lazarus is sick. And when Jesus hears the news, he stays two more days in that place. Now, that's, that's kind of mind-blowing, right? You, you think if you're close to a family and you hear that somebody's sick, you'd want to kind of hurry up and get to them, right? But Jesus intentionally stays two more days. And, and the reason why he stays is because he says the, the glory of God is going to be revealed in this. Like, this is going to end in good. But, but nobody's really understanding what he's, he's thinking right now. And so when Jesus finally arrives on the scene, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So Lazarus has been dead for four days. And in verse 21, Martha, his sister, comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And then later in the passage, Jesus was moved to compassion. We see his humanity here. He was moved to compassion, and it says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept over his friend Lazarus. A few verses later, Jesus is again moved to compassion, and we see his humanity humanity again, and he stands before the tomb and he prays to the Father. He prays to the Father. Let Let me ask you this question. When else did, when when is Jesus, can you think of a time in Jesus' ministry when he prayed for us? When when did Jesus pray for us? When did we see Jesus' humanity and we see him weep and and pray for us? When was that? Anybody know? It's on the cross, right? Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, right? Now, now we weren't in that crowd that day. We weren't there literally crucifying Christ, but because of our sin, we, we might as well have been. So Jesus says, forgive them, right? So we see Jesus' humanity here. He prays. He cries out to the Father. And in a loud voice, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. A lot of people believe that he he specifically said Lazarus because if he had just said come out, then every grave and every tomb in Jerusalem or Israel, it would have opened up and people would have been coming out by 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 the loads. And so he specifies, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. I want you to see the humanity of Jesus in this passage. Jesus wept and prayed. These are definitively human things. Listen, I want you to understand this morning that Jesus identifies with you. He identifies with our pain and our loss. He comes to us in our weaknesses and our our brokenness. Jesus is not some distant God who has no compassion on his creation. But he is close and he is near. The humanity of Jesus cries out to the divinity of Jesus and the Father speaks and moves and does something amazing. And with three little words, three little words, Lazarus, come out, Jesus crushes our greatest enemy, death. When sin entered the world, it separated us from God and it brought death into the world. And with three little words, Jesus rewrites creation. Three little words. And see, this was a demonstration of the power of God so that you, my friends at Chester Christian Church in 2015, might believe in Jesus. And so here's what we believe. We believe that Lazarus was dead. His sisters mourned for him. His body was decomposing and smelled But because Jesus is the Son of God and actually is the resurrection and the life, Jesus was claiming to be the source of both. There is no resurrection apart from Christ. There is no eternal life apart from Christ. And those same words are available to you today. Those same three little words. And he specifies them to each of you. For those of you who struggle with self acceptance and self hatred, who beat yourself up, who put on masks and cover yourselves up because you're afraid, Jesus says, Come out of death and into life. For those of you who struggle with anger, hate, and cynicism, today is the day that you come out of death and into life. You who are struggling with addictions, He knows your name. He knows your struggle. You are not alone. You are not less than, but He calls your name to come out of that oppression, to come out of that slavery, to come out of death and into life. For marriages that are ruined and destroyed and seem lifeless and seem hopeless, God is a God of resurrection and your marriage can be resurrected. He can bring life to your marriage believe he says believe and come out for those of us who feel shame and brokenness believing that man there's no way that God could ever forgive me for what I've done Jesus wants to rewrite your story he says believe and come out come out though death once reigned over you and now life does see he does more than just give life he is life Resurrection was not an event. Jesus is the resurrection. Resurrection is a person. His name is Jesus. And if you would just believe in Jesus, you can have a personal relationship with him. If you would just believe, you can experience this new life with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus. God, that he came from heaven to earth in the flesh. God, that he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Father, we thank you for the I Am statements that just reveal who Jesus is and what he came to do. God, my prayer this morning is that we would just, the words that we have said today, God, that your spirit has just moved and has convicted us, God, and we just need to believe and put our trust in you. Father, thank you so much for your great love. It's in Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do now is I'm going to ask uh, Arthur and Charlotte if you guys would come down this morning. And, man, I just, just want to invite you to come, come forward if you need prayer for anything, if you're struggling with anything, if you just feel like, man, you're just overwhelmed right now with life. Man, Arthur and Charlotte will be down here, and they would love to pray with you this morning. And then I'm going to be down here at the front as well, and I would love to talk to you about salvation, I would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus, man. If you've never placed your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, I would love to talk to you about that and how you can do that and how you can start believing today and how you can have this new life that Jesus talks about. All right? Let's stand and let's sing.